0: Studio Stories, Studio Stories. A podcast reminiscing on Twin Cities dance history. All stories are connected, new ones woven from threads of the old. Hi, I'm Matthew Jindeski. Welcome to Studio Stories. Today, our guest to share a bit of their studio stories is Linda Lee Soderstrom. Linda Lee is a retired dance teacher, a former student at dance studio Margaret Dietz, who became a community educator for lay people of all ages in modern dance. She applied dance as a human service in both secure and accessible special needs settings, and is a co-author of Margaret Dietz, A Dancer's Legacy with a Bachelor of Arts in Modern Dance and Voice from Carleton College in 1972. Oh my goodness. Linda Lee, it is so nice to have you with us. Uh, Welcome.
1: Thank you so much. Greetings.
0: It's really great to have you here, and uh, there's so much to jump in with you with such a great history, and in my brief experiences of meeting you through the years and our discussion leading up to this, your passion for the telling of Margaret Zeet's history and connection to Mary Vigman is immeasurable. I am looking forward to hearing your history and a bit about that connection and research you continue with sharing Margaret Zeet's principles of philosophy and uh, in dance. Thank you.
1: Thank you and thank you for welcoming me. This is a kind of a return to the dance community as I have not actively been in a company or danced for quite some time except for pickup companies.
0: Nice. And did I say Mary Wigman right?
1: Well, we work at that cuz we don't speak German. Um I think in German it's Mary Wigman, you know, with the v sound, but um we just say Mary Mary Wigman.
0: Okay. So I'm doing the German, (laughs) appropriate. (laughs) Okay, well, um, I'm really interested, Linda, how did you start dancing?
1: Um, Going way back, I'm going to say it's probably pretty typical. I started to take ballet when I was five years old from a Swiss teacher, as it turns out, and then decided I was going to study violin and piano and um, came back to ballet at 15 or so. Uh, I do remember being in Les feed that year and uh, on to college. So that is where I encountered modern dance. And um, that was pretty exciting and a little bit scary because I had never even considered dance to be free reign or um, coming from inside you and expressing yourself, finding those movements based upon your feelings and so forth.
0: Uh-huh. Nice. And and college was Carleton College right away?
1: Um yeah, in Northfield, Minnesota. They have uh St. Olaf and Carleton. Uh it's a beautiful little village about 35 miles south of the Twin Cities.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it and to me it seems as though you were kind of in the the beginnings of the program kind of getting on its own kind of founding feet along with Mary Moore Easter perhaps.
1: Um, absolutely. Mary was side by side with us in class. We took turns, you know, we were leading the lines. Those of us who had found some confidence in ourselves, you know, we would, uh, be asked by our teacher, Linda Osborne, to just lead those lines across the floor. And, um, you know, it was, you know, it, it was a very interesting combination of free, Improv finding, like I said, you know, the guts of the feeling, but also a technique that in some ways um, is so gorgeous and probably not reconstructed or kept as an alphabet or an archive or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, we learned so many things that were helpful then going on up to the cities with the uh, Dance uh, Studio, Margaret Dietz. Uh It was later called Choreogram Dance Studio, but at first it had her name to it. Um, and, you know, just uh, unforgettable circles and curves and spirals. I really want to mention those early on, because those are really a dream come true. <laughs>
0: huh. Nice. Yeah. And I, I hear the name Linda Osborne quite a bit uh, oh. in chatting with a lot of people that went to Carleton and kind of great impact alone for her with this community.
1: Yeah, Linda, um, you know, she deals with you one-on-one. And she came out of the Hauser School, so she was, you know, very strong and in the core company there. Um, Linda Osborne is still with us. I think she might be in her early 80s. And um, she lives in the Edina area. And... um <sighs> Linda. (laughs) We had to call each other Linda S or Linda O, because there were so many Lindas at the time. But uh, (laughs) um, Linda Osborne is so powerful that she brings that power out in you. And um, Margaret wasn't a user of a lot of um, sounds and you know what I mean? Like oomph, like sounds like um, kind of rolling and growling and sounds. Um, she probably might not have even liked to see that in a study or anything, but Hauser was, you know, and Hauser used that oomph kind of stuff and mm, give me, give me, you know, and Osborne had that too. You know, I remember walking, uh, gliding across the floor backwards and she wanted you to fill her hand with the small of your back. And she's, like, you know, give you do do do, you know, she would okay. say, "Fill my hand, fill my hand." And so, yeah, yeah, she had quite an energy.
0: Nice, yeah, really encouraging as a teacher. Then I would assume. Oh yeah, it sounds yeah. So I I know that uh, in talking with you that you actually formed your own special major studies when programs didn't exist for you at Carleton, and I just I I think for that time frame. And I don't know, your age and in college of having that agency of getting and studying what you really wanted is so amazing. And I, I, I wanted to kind of learn a little bit, uh, Linda Lee, of maybe kind of what gives you that kind of, uh, I'm going to say chutzpah, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> or, yeah, can you just yep. share a little bit of that?
1: I can. I can. Um, you know, I was the oldest of five. Uh, in the fifties and that makes me a little bit bossy and kind of loud,
0: though. I'm kind of a shy
1: girl, really. Um, that's odd combination, but they didn't have exactly what I needed there. I had gone, um, at the uh, suggestion of the vice principal at my high school and was recommended and was wonderful. I got there. I wanted to be an English major. And then I discovered modern dance. (laughs) So I was taking that on Tuesdays and Thursdays, four classes a day, and it was in the PE department. And I was like, oh, wow. And so I was switching up my gears and realizing I did have that uh, agency, as you so kindly put, and um, so then I looked around which classes might fit, and um, so we created one to do with the biology of movement, and only two or three of us took that class from a professor who was a biology professor, and we we did that kind of thing, and then I also discovered voice um, and took, you know, private lessons as part of the college curriculum, was in choir madrigals and all that kind of thing, but without Going to three intense summer sessions at uh, St. Benedict's up in um, St. John's Abbey, I I would not have had that special major because those summers were intensive six week sessions.
0: Okay, so that kind of experiencing those summer sessions kind of like fulfilled that passion and kind of brought you towards getting those programs and studies taken care of at Carlton then.
1: Um, it absolutely was credited um, toward academic credit. And again, I, you know, obviously had to go through the right um, hoops to hop and, and, uh, you know, get approval for that. And there was a hesitance. Um, they didn't really okay it till it was um, coming down to the wire. Um, they kind of okayed it while I was working on it and finalized their okay. But um Again, you know, I had advisors, I had Mary Easter, you know, she's like, go for it. You know, <laughs> So um, I'm not really a rebel, but I don't uh-huh. mind being out there on, you know, I don't mind being, you know, the person who goes, no, that's not right. You know, I should be able to do what I want to do. And when I heard there is a special major option, well, you know, the rest is history.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I find it interesting, though, because I feel like also the thinking of that kind of time frame of connect making those connections uh for those programs I think is kind of revolutionary in a way as well for you know an academic kind of institution like that to recognize it
1: well and, and, and yeah, it. sorry um white male academic providers probably didn't see that female depth of research into my own not just feelings but body and technique and discipline um and traveling to the cities three days a week which was unusual from a college like that but um i i think that you know i saw that every minute that i spent in class was full tilt right Mm, yeah right so i'm like well wait this should count so
0: nice yeah and so, when you were going to St. Ben's in the summer, that was with Margaret Deeds, correct?
1: Indeed, yes, absolutely. And I think she might have been one of the first people to actually grace that stage. It's a huge, mongous theater
0: yeah. with
1: a back-to-back. I don't know if you've ever performed there, but I it's have. Back-to-back. It's it's Whoa. amazing. Yes.
0: Yeah. So, so tell me, how did you find out about that summer session? Was that through Linda, or
1: oh, yeah. Thank you for asking. Um, Linda Osborne uh, introduced me to Margaret finally. And as I said, I've been learning some of the fundamentals. And um, at the Guthrie Theater, after a show we'd all been to, uh, she introduces me to her master. (laughs) And I reached my hand out, Margaret reached her hand out. And uh, as Margaret is pumping my arm up and down very strongly, she says, aha, another victim. (laughs) so um yeah i was introduced prior to those uh summer sessions and um you know (sighs) margaret was such a character you could you know you were some ways a little scared of her but some ways um you know adored her
0: Mm, yeah that's a good balance i think to have because you have to have a little bit of that respect in a way yeah i don't know i don't know so, so where you were in the beginnings of choreogram with Margaret then, and
1: well, and Margaret did not now teach. Remember, she did not educate at Carlton College. She she was the, um, if I understood, the chair of dance at the University of Minnesota, where, for example, all the athletes were assigned to take fundamental movement from her. Um, Judith Myrus, I think, was her adjunct at the university. Somewhere in there, Heidi Jasmine uh, also uh, taught. um, And then um, Linda Osborne was, you know, at Carleton, traveling down and back. And then Terry and Marie, who, if you know choreogram, you know, it was Linda, Judy, Terry, and Marie who founded it. Terry and Marie, who is now known as Gabriel. Um, Gabe and and Marie came down from St. Ben's where they had teaching jobs. So they each had teaching jobs and came together on weekends to form that first repertoire and to premiere as a company uh, with five, uh, five members.
0: Okay. And that was Choreogram. called. That choreogrammed.
1: was Choreogram. Yes. Um, would you like me to tell you how Choreogram was named? Yeah. Well, <laughs> well. I was not in the room, Matthew, but this is how I picture it, and I believe came to understand that Margaret asked all the company, Linda, Judy, Gabriel, and Marie, to um, think of names, to think of very, very good names, and um, to bring them all in. They all did, and I think she had already made up her mind that choreogram was um, exactly, precisely what she wanted. (laughs) I think she listened to all their ideas and then said it's... We're going to call it Choreogram. <laughs> so nice. Yeah. yeah. And
0: and yeah. where did where did those rehearsals take place in the Twin Cities? Or um,
1: that- uh, You know, this has been a few years ago, but um, because Margaret taught at the U, I know they had access to that studio, if I'm not mistaken, as well. They did meet up at St. Ben's and, you know, they had to spend the weekend together. I don't think they ever danced down at Carlton until that first concert. Um, let me think, where else would they have? I think that's it. They just had to alternate with spaces as best as they could. And, and um, they were kind of almost a collective on the weekends, I think, because they had to be together from Friday till Sunday and um, intensely operate as a company and then split up again for the week.
0: It's kind of nice to think of that. Like, that just seems kind of magical to me in a way.
1: It was, it was. The
0: intensive quality of it and the coming together of sharing that passion. I don't know. I imagine some really wonderful, you know, dinners and conversations uh, in that intimacy that they, they shared then.
1: Well, and I will tell you, Margaret was not without, she was an exaggerator at times or very dramatic. And sometimes it would have to do with your own little personality And I certainly, you know, had talks with her, good talks about what I needed to do. Um, but I will have a moment of fun here and tell you that she used to, and I heard this was across the dinner table, <laughs> call um, Gabriel Stoner's Mr. Stoner, Mr. Stoner. And actually with um, uh, Judith Myras, um, who was one of my teachers as well, she would say Professor Myris. And, you know, she just had she had fun with us, with our personalities. Um, one thing she told me one day sitting on the piano bench side by side was Linda you must rehearse without your glasses on because eventually right eventually you're going to want to pierce the you know the dark and look and see to the back hall to the back row to the the extent you know of space but if you have your glasses on you're going to be used to kind of that range of sight and vision and so you must rehearse with with no glasses on and get used to that idea and you know it was a brand new idea it was excellent advice of course um and then you know my vision's not that great so you know it meant you know um you know taking care of myself in the space so in 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 pieces and being yeah you know yep putting every foot down where it belonged
0: (laughs) (laughs) Nice. And where where were those performances kind of taking place at that time frame?
1: Well, I will tell you, um, they're very, I call it their premiere. I think the premiere that they uh, deemed was up at St. Ben's. But um, because they were at Carleton College for kind of a first, um, really a final, final realization of all the rehearsing, and, and then and then to hold that concert at Carleton College in this um, old gymnasium where they had, it had beautiful, smooth wooden floors and they hung, you know, curtain to make it, uh, I'm, I'm waving my arms around right here, making, making <laughs> a theater in a gymnasium, you know. And um, so they, they put that together and oh, they only showed that concert one time, but it was a uh, solo by each of the members. So that would have been five solos and then um, several group pieces.
0: Huh. Nice. And, and how long did choreogram last? You know?
1: Yeah, when Margaret died, um, so what I'm describing to you now occurred in 67 or 68. She passed away in 72. Okay. And um, choreogram, I think, was still going by that name till about 76, till about 1976. Yeah.
0: Okay. So someone kind of took on the, the helm of that then?
1: Absolutely. Judith Myris, who many people know as an educator par excellence, and I don't speak French, but you know, uh-huh. Judith was the height of creating a, a curriculum from her input with Margaret, highly academic. Um, and Irina Lazoff and she and others kind of ran the company.
0: Okay. And then, so Linda, for you, after... Carleton College I'm assuming that's when you were continuing dancing with choreogram
1: absolutely just a smooth transition I was what was considered to be an apprentice they okay. had that five core company then they invited three apprentices to join and I was in the next circle of apprentices so everybody just signed out the space and did their little studies. And even after Margaret, well, you know, had passed away far too soon, we um, had composition class once a week. And so people, you know, we had either assignments or creation of studies, and we would bring those in and try to add, you know, 10 beats or 16 bars or whatever each week and you know the class would be asked uh, are they uh, is this person achieving what they're hoping to achieve and uh, not much criticism but just keep going or yeah it seems you've pretty much reached the extent of this study for now why don't we let that one close and then eventually those little studies and little sketches and so forth were shown right there in the same studio um as uh, we call them studio nights okay Mm-hmm.
0: So kind of informal showings mm-hmm. that we yep. shared. Yes. But so then the the group of five um, kind of put those pieces together as one or did, were they separated out still as like studies specific?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, interesting. Um, the studio nights were for all levels, all levels from from beginner up through the company. The company might show the first three minutes of what eventually would be an eight minute dance, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Can you share a little bit about how Margaret collaborated with the performers, uh, or how she created works specifically?
1: Process
0: wise.
1: um, Say what was that last word?
0: Like like her process in making something.
1: Process wise, yeah. Okay. Um. Again, now remember, I was not in the company, in those pieces with her setting them. Um, I was in those pieces after she had passed away. Um, okay. but, which is fine, which is fine. I mean, they were still very exacting. Um, Margaret was extremely strict, Matthew. And if a piece was made and it was set, it needed to be exactly repeatable. Hmm. And um, that was, I think, very German. and probably fit her personality as well, but the range of the pieces, the different uh, flavors and colors and you know content of them, was extremely well balanced um, in any concert you know that she gave. And um, just very demanding, very, extremely demanding. But she sat once with Gabriel and watched a dance called Quartet um, for three ladies. And a gentleman, kind of, um, um, it, you know, in the lyric sense, they would, uh, you know, uh, uh, on, in the month of May, kind of thing. You know, they, um, they would, they would dance, and it was perfection. Huh. It was finalized and, and uh, beautifully uh, uh, perfect. And she just turned to Gabriel and said, "It's perfect." Huh. So,
0: yes. yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like that also kind of speaks to the time frame a little bit mm-hmm. of, of choreographers and, and that, you know, it's this or nothing else kind of a thing. And maybe, yeah. maybe even the kind of climate that I've been hearing through these studio stories, interviews of, of like you studied at this school and that was your school and you didn't cross the street. I think you even mentioned that a little bit in our conversation before this
1: yeah I did and I I would agree I think Mary brought it up and I haven't had a chance to listen to a lot of your talks here but I'm um I'm sure it comes up a lot for people in the 70s you just didn't even cross the road to take jazz if you were a ballet student and such and so so each each person had a loyalty to their um instructor their master the head of that school or studio and um nowadays it's almost it's not the opposite but um people love to have a wide range of of different special visiting teachers or you know even Mm -hmm. a range of styles within their own body uh training so
0: yeah yeah different now i I agree with i think that having more tools in your toolbox that flexibility as a performer is is important but I, i i do also see like the kind of the importance of like that very zeroed in focused study as well so
1: do do, do you know something that was the case at the time and is not now is that each company had a school and each school had a home space
0: Mm.
1: and the rents were affordable and you could spend all day every day there
0: Wow. Yeah. So
1: we don't really have that per se now. Now you have to sign it out by the hour and pay $10 an hour or 12 or 20 if you're going to charge. And, um, it's just a completely different type of commodity.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm interested in then. So I know that you studied with Shirley Mordine, Mordine, uh, as part of like an urban studies semester. So that was in college at Carleton. Mm
1: -hmm. Yes, it was. Um, yeah i met her um I, uh do you know her
0: i don't i just know her work and i I feel like she was very influential uh at that time frame as well you know like the power of her her movement and style and so i i i really oh. like oh wow, Linda Lee studied with Shirley mor
1: Okay. Well, oh, I
0: mean,
1: <laughs> yeah, I didn't I didn't know I didn't know all that at the time because I was on yeah. an urban urban semester of course in Chicago and um uh so I was just assigned to her uh, again as a little mini apprentice for that semester and um you know, uh, she's hilarious. I just uh, her sense of humor, her sense of the absurd are very very clear in her chosen choreography. So at that time, you know, she just wasn't afraid, I suppose, to Oh, I don't know if it's breaking one of the walls or breaking the rules or something, but again, you know, this is quite some time ago. So people were trying, I think to, um, oh, uh, what what's the word for it? To be, you know, avant-garde before there was that kind of oh, thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Or just opening up that investigative curiosity of what dance can be and, and achieve maybe.
1: Yeah. I mean, this was still modern dance. This was not post-modern mm-hmm. dance. So whenever somebody punched holes in what you were expecting, then you were like, oh, <laughs> wow.
0: <laughs> What's this?
1: <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: Right. Oh, interesting. Well, in in preparing for today's talk with you, you know, again, I, I got to, I've seen you here and there throughout the community um, at gatherings and and you had mentioned that you were more comfortable kind of behind the scenes on things rather than on stage uh, as you continue to have dance in, in your life. Was was that more on the administration side of things then?
1: Um, Only in the administration of my own life as a teacher in the community. And I should just say my mom, um, you know, was a teacher. So I suppose I caught the bug, uh, you know, or, or was was, you know, came by it naturally in some way. So most of us had little small jobs in community ed. And we went out to the various uh, nighttime schools and taught beginner classes. And that became really my entire spirit. I I started teaching adult beginners. And then I realized that uh, older people, some had some brought up in Minnesota, had been told dancing was a sin. (laughs) Mm. I I encountered people, you know, in their 80s who thanked me because they said I didn't know it was this much fun. And, um, you know, I taught people in in, um, little tiny people in daycares. I taught people from two to 82 in regular settings like daycares or senior centers. And sometimes I use rhythm, rhyme, song and, you know, uh, song and sound, you know, um, uh, kind of a human service, kind of a, again, I'm using my hands here. (laughs) Rolled up into who I am you know, yeah. and kind of being my own muse and following my own strength and tendency. So as far as behind the scenes, I, I don't know. I mean, I did help sew some costumes. I, I never did lighting design or, 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 you know, climb ladders or anything like that. But um, I wouldn't, I never felt behind the scenes because when they needed me in a piece, you know, I could, I could do that. Um, and um, it, it, when I was in the community, I think I think what you're getting at here is because I was not overly, um, I'm not overly enamored of, of performing. Wow. I, I have stage fright that even though I love the rehearsals, I love the process, I love everything about it, everybody and everything. I have an almost bad day if I'm going to be in something that night. And to this day. To this day, as talkative as I am when I have to be on a panel and speak for t- two minutes at the state Capitol, the whole day is like, Ugh. so. Um, uh, you know, I'm not yeah. your best performer. I, you know, I'm. I'm. I don't have that naturalness. Though a few times, under a few teachers and later uh, situations where, and I will say with Kathy Ward out of the Eric Hawkins Company. I really did lose that with her at a certain time. But let me go back to how I explained to you in the community ed in the 70s when we were all teaching and I went on from community ed to special needs and to people in prisons or shelters or treatment centers. Mm -hmm. And uh, somehow, you know, it wasn't as secure. I came across, I'm sure, as well organized and very safe. So I was let to be in these secure settings without being a licensed dance therapist or anything like that. And um, uh, I think everyone who took my classes, you know, found themselves in their body a little bit more. And I would always say when I would write grants for this, um, uh, it won't change the trajectory of their lives, but it's going to significantly alter the way this day uh, becomes for them, the day in which mm. we are together.
0: Yeah. And was, were those programs that you were, you were the kind of the driving force behind? Like, did you make that happen for yep. yourself or, okay, wow. Yep.
1: I sure did. And, and for some other people, I had a, a few mini, mini grants from Compass and that kind of thing, where uh, once in a while, another teacher would also, um, you know, uh, be able to go out and on contract.
0: Yeah, and I feel like there was a program, and I'm forgetting now who told me about this, and maybe it was Choreogram, uh, that had programs that were going into schools and things like that. Um, or Linda Shapiro maybe mentioned this kind of like, that outreach that happened in schools. And I'm wondering now, in looking at the timeline of that, if that was part of your time with with choreogram at all or if that, uh, yeah. not
1: yep yeah, sorry to talk over you not no. not not officially for me uh, again i didn't rise to the level of being a national endowment for the arts recipient individual or company those it was it was running amok in America at the time. In the no. 70s, the National Endowment for the Arts had dance companies arriving at grade schools, at universities. I, I won't even go you know, down the rabbit hole. I mean, there was dance and it was modern dance and I'm assuming some ballet and, and some jazz companies as well. But they came out and they did master classes for kids, again, of all ages and stages, and um, I call it the gymnasium circuit, and I think a lot of people do that. That's when Murray and Nick, and you know, people like that were were right out in the public schools, and they were well paid to do it. They toured, and um, you know, in addition to which, I, I think that a ton of money was was invested in those companies getting stronger. Um, one gal in particular, uh, Bev Sonnen, um, was a Hauser, a dancer. And um, she took her little, you know, Honda or whatever it was, and she drove all over the nation and soloed in the gymnasium circuit because, you know, she got the contract and she took the trip. And um, I think that interface between third graders and modern dance teachers, that whole tradition, um, I don't even know if it's going on now. I'm assuming that it is in some ways and shapes and forms. But um, that was just the field. That was the field. The field was educational. And again, uh, as not the most enamored of performing, I, um, you know, I was very comfortable in those years um, coming from a family with a a mother who taught community college and so forth. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, how is it? How is it then, Linda, that you came to co-write a book about Margaret Dietz? Like what how did that transpire to to get her story out there? Um, I think, right. you know, her impact in this community has been immeasurable. Obviously hearing her name quite often uh during that time frame and and kind of the impact of dancers beyond that, you know, like those those storylines or thread lines right. are all kind of connected still and I just I feel like it, you know, to write a book, to co write a book about her is is quite amazing. How did that come about?
1: Yeah, it was a labor of love, of course. Um, you know, so she had so many students. You know, she would have 30, 35 people in a general class. And a general mm-hmm. class was beginner through professional. General class didn't mean intermediate. So, again, that was kind of a different concept maybe. But, you know, some of those people went on to become autism teachers or, uh, you know, principals of schools and that kind of thing. So she she taught dance to a lot of people who didn't become dancers professionally. Um, And uh, when the three authors knew her a variety of length of time. Okay, Eliza Freeman knew her for about two weeks and then went to Sweden with her boyfriend. I knew Margaret for about two years and uh, fully. And Marie Winkler uh, knew her at uh, knew her through Marshall U High and on up through um, the time of her passing. So around six full years. And the three of us had achieved the age of 58, which is the age at which Margaret passed away. Mm-hmm. And we were buds, we were pals, we were, you know, in life, in real life. We had just, you know, stayed friends. And uh, so in the process, we're like, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. And we were looking at our own photos and papers and, you know, um, I don't know exactly when the Performing Arts Archive started to form up, but I think, you know, at 58, you're starting to look at your own impact on yourself or your family or your community. You know, we're like, oh man, this story of this woman, it needs to be told in no uncertain terms. These women out of the Vigmon school survived World War II on the ground They came to America, they became dance therapists, dance educators, dance performers, dance masters. And there were a number of them all over the United States. And her particular story, which we knew some of, um, though she never really said, hey, you know, uh, war is terrible, um, you know, and she she didn't drag us down into those memories, Um, but in fact, you are harmed. Mm. You are traumatized and you are damaged by war. And once in a while, we would know. You know, she would sit on the composition bench. And once I remember Gabriel showed a study of uh, a tableau of suffering and about six people he had, and they were across the back wall and they were gnarling and twisting a bit and turning. And it was only the first 30 seconds of a piece. And I remember this because she just had that ten thousand yard stare, mm-hmm. and then when you come back from that, it's going to take longer to come back than it took to go. And so, you know, there we are, children in composition class, seeing our teacher uh, has has gone has gone somewhere. Yeah. So yeah. only in those few moments you know, did we understand that trauma? And, um, but we knew she had survived that and post-World War II, there was something called the Soar Optimist Club, hmm. which were people who said never again, never again, there shall never be this type of brutality on this earth again. And of course, so that's a very great optimism that she held and brought to us. That was her gift to us as the survival, the beauty and, um, she didn't keep that harm away from us, but it wasn't a theme really. Instead, it was a caution so that when she let us out of composition class, I know, once to go vote and another time to be in demonstrations at the university against the war in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And she said, beware, children, beware.
0: Huh. So, and so, she, so you feel like I'm kind of jumping here. No, it's okay back to her work so it, as part of her work she didn't show that suffering or struggle maybe like she kind of kept that optimistic like dance um, an escape from it
1: no um, no it's a both and really too okay. but right. as being you know 18 to 20 year olds 15 to 25 year olds you know you're still protective almost uh, in a family way um yeah she did. Do you know Kurt Use? Do you know uh, the, the green table?
0: Yes, 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 you,
1: yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, she had a piece called Midnight Meeting, which was actually very reminding of the green table um it was only about 10 minutes long i think but the the wolf did howl and you know the the four nations brought their briefcases and they met across a black table in that case so um you know from time to time it would emerge as that and um but the other thing is her solo which i believe in looking at her repertoire since 1953 until we met her um it was called reflections when we knew her Um, let me search for the right exact concepts. This was a piece in which she would sink down into memory and then uh, by putting her two hands over her hands and then um, pressing down almost since you ask, almost like pushing, you know, a memory away. And, but the other, the same hands would come up almost like resting your chin on a windowsill and in peace and, you know, um, pleasure, and um, these both emotions—the loss and the l- liveliness—you know, the the pleasure and the pain—you know—we're mm. both in the same dance. Okay. And 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 the alternating between the two was something that made you really feel deeply as if there is something memorable here that is wonderful and there is something dark.
0: Yeah. Do you know what uh, you're doing such a great job of kind of putting me in the room with with her in a a great way and it made me wonder musicality wise did she work with composers at that time or was it recorded music or I'm sure it varied maybe, but can you give a sense of that?
1: Sure. Great question. Um, uh, um, you know, Vigman often found her dances on the inside first. Um, and then the music was accompaniment live, Hmm. uh, subsequent to finding the piece or the, the, the movements. Um, Margaret, I think just for efficiency, um, you know, ask us to find a piece of music. Um, We weren't allowed to make tape collages because we needed to respect that composer and use that full Mm. piece. Um, That was an interesting kind of rule of thumb, if you would say. But um, up at St. Ben's, there was a music library. So part of our assignment was to go in there and listen and listen and listen and find something that kind of matched the feeling of the piece we were doing.
0: Mm, Okay. And I understand, I'm pretty sure that you have provided things to the Performing Arts Library uh, with regards to Margaret and and the history, correct?
1: Well, that's interesting too, because um, we we held a centenary for her. um, And um, in 2013, uh, we held a centenary for Margaret. And um, at that point, you know, after we wrote the book, other papers began to surface, you know, when you're digging, then you find out you can dig further. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, we, we really, in, in the end, um, had a physical collection, which is what happens. And because, um, she asked to be buried in the Benedictine, um, c- cemetery at St. Ben's, um, and, you know, a close working relationship with the sisters there as colleagues, um, we asked if her papers could be um, collected at St. Benedict's. So, um, yeah, that's where they are found. You can go online and see a special collection in the name of Margaret Dietz. It's M-A-R-G-R-E-T, Margaret D-I-E-T-Z. It's a special collection at St. John's uh, University and St. Benedict College. But um, there are, I'm sure connections through her um, at the Performing Arts Archive through people um, like Mary Easter no. or like Heidi Jasmine or, you know, um, in, the, in the same way John Munger, you know, there's no way you can ever have known John Munger and not know about Hanya Holmes.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah,
0: there's those connections. It's a small, it is a small community, ultimately. Right. Um, And those, like, six degrees of separation.
1: Well, and I feel like I'm kind of the messenger here, because um, there were so many people who knew Nancy Houser and who knew Margaret Dietz. And even though they did uh, separate, you know, and go their separate ways, um, all those dancers, I believe Cecily Marcus at the Performing Arts Archive I believe even if it's just a very few indicative papers with a photo or program, um, I believe she wants to know all those names. So you're reminding me that I should probably get back with her on that. But uh, uh, there's there's a ton of names of people who work with both Margaret Dietz and Nancy Hauser.
0: Yeah. And you just brought up something that there was a uh, they were connected and then there was a a split.
1: Yep, those were the days, right? <laughs> when you when you came into a difference, then it was time to branch away. And that's how that occurred. And I was very dramatic. And um one choreographer named Irina Lazoff followed Margaret uh, to choreogram from the housers. And when um the um the, her her husband, when Irina Lazoff's husband passed away, her sons contacted me with Irina's papers. And again, now, not finally all her most best photos yet, because obviously the two sons, you know, they want to hold those. They still want to touch those. But I took those papers to Cecily Marcus. They put it in a very well-prepared, safe box. You overbring. You bring uh, what you have. They go through it and keep one of each, of everything that they can adequately absorb in their collection. And then they return the remainder to you. And they're just so precise and so respectful and so loving. I really, I really would encourage people to try to, um, you know, we all have box loads with (laughs) things, things. (laughs) but to try to keep very special papers, like one of each of everything like that. And um, as I uh, was thinking about coming here today, I thought, well, you know, we're not all um, famous enough to go in a performing arts archive, but, you know, we could offer that to our high school library or a college library um, hmm. and, you know, even write up a little something about ourselves. Um, I will say that when um, when we wrote that book, it was so collaborative, um, almost it, it, it took five years time for three people to conduct that book together. And we way overwrote it and then had to trim way, mm-hmm. way back. And whenever we could, we tried to put things in Margaret's very own words. And um, it's not really a very long book. It's it's about a hundred pages and we have about 90 photos in there, but one of the most st- stunning things in that book, which I don't think you've seen it yet, but I will mail you one, Um, are photos by a woman named Charlotte Rudolph, who was a dance and art photographer and a friend of Margaret's. And the portraiture that Charlotte Rudolph has made of the Wigman women and other artists in Germany are so stunning. (laughs) It's like they're... uh, Eyes follow you around the room. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like that. They're in sepia tones. So that you could take just those photos and make a book with no words at all in just those sepia tones, and it it would be remarkable.
0: Hmm. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know that you might not want me to bring this up, but I know <laughs> that in your in your to-do list.
1: Mm-hmm. is
0: uh, writing another book uh, and it's called GEMS, which stands for German. Can you remind me?
1: Sure. I will try. Um, <laughs> it, well, and I, there's a story behind the little gems because traditionally in the big month school, when class would be over, the summer session would let out, um, the seminar ended, people flew back to America or, or whatnot the teachers in that school gave out little gems of wisdom to their students not just mary bigman but the others as i understand it and they would just give you some wise words for you because they weren't just mentors for dance they were also um beautiful teachers about life and how to live your best life Mm. and um so um so I grabbed the word gems and I thought, well, oh, wait a minute, German Expressionist movements, you know, gems in dance. So what are exactly the German Expressionist movements in dance? So, yeah, you're right. When the when the book was finished and accomplished in 2010, um, you know, I thought, well, what do I need to do? And I really am very, very impressed with the principles in movement, the alphabet, if you would you know, out of which we build the sentences and then the paragraphs. And I'm not a fancy dancer, a complex choreographer, that kind of thing. But those movements to me are safe and sure. They're not injurious. And there are fundamentals. And um, I just think they should be in some way recorded, kept, filmed, um, um, you know, put together as a, um but i guess a toolkit or a tool chest yeah. yeah
0: yeah having that history and archival and and sharing of information in that way i love it I, i'm looking forward to you to uh i know you're busy in life <laughs> doing amazing things and work but uh i th- i appreciate um kind of your perspective that you have, especially with the Twin Cities, Minnesota dance scene. And I, I find that, you know, obviously that's why I'm sharing these stories because I, I want uh, to keep this history alive and, and know kind of where our community was and where it is and where it can be going. And I so appreciate you sharing your story today and that you, you know, you have this, this possible book that you're going to get to um, to share that story as well. So thank you so much, Linda Lee Soderstrom, for joining us today.
1: You're very, very welcome. I appreciate you bringing up some of these wonderful subjects because it's a bit of a motivator. Uh (laughs) I'm like, oh, oh, I better not forget about a few of these little projects I'm mentioning.
0: (laughs) Yeah. My to-do list is always long and, and, you know, you check them off when you can. So no pressure.
1: Very well. (laughs) Yes, we do.
0: <laughs> uh, well, have a great day, Linda Lee.
1: Okay, great. Thank you so, so much for your time.
0: Thanks for joining us today. Next week, we speak with Stuart Pimsler, co director with Suzanne Costello of Stuart Pimsler Dance Theater, with over a 40 year history.